0: And welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, a podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it. Brought to you by BrightSmith. We're your hosts. I'm Jenny Gladman, and I'm Ben Sparks. And in this fifth season, we're interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to talk all things clean tech and clean tech careers. From the opportunities and challenges of working in clean tech to tips to get into the industry. And why it's so rewarding to work in. We'll be hearing from a series of individuals, all with very different backgrounds, to discover how they forged their clean tech career and are fueling a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. Today's guest has had a really fascinating career. Um, I was thrilled when she was introduced to me as a potential guest um, and even more thrilled when we'd had an initial conversation about what her career looked like um, and the value that she can add to people out there contemplating their own career decisions at the moment. So uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome today's guest. It's Ellen Kugelberg. She's the chief product officer and former COO of Enride uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Enride, she's going to tell you much more about it later, but in short, they are an industry disrupting freight technology company who are providing end-to-end solutions for electric and autonomous shipping. Whew, long sentence. <laughs> so, um, welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, and I'll pass it over to you to give a bit of an introduction as to who you are.
1: Thank you so much, and so happy to be here. Um, I'm from originally born and raised in Sweden, um, and uh, started my uh, career, my education as an engineer. Uh, went into consulting, um, and then has transitioned through uh, different companies, but always with a passion for how to leverage data for sort of intelligent business, sort of business decision making, uh, and uh, kind of improving things, uh, to put it simply. Um, I have uh, two kids um, uh, and a family here in Stockholm, um, love uh, skiing, food, uh, and having
0: a lot of time with, with friends and family, to
1: to sort of <laughs> simply That's put it. <laughs>
0: um, And you touched on it there, your background in engineering um, and I know that you, you had a, a very strong academic background in that, but it actually led you, as you said, into consulting, which is probably not the obvious choice for most people in engineering. So what did that look like and, and how did it actually take you into, into consulting and joining McKinsey?
1: Sure. So I think um, I really enjoyed uh, engineering subjects and and I uh, kind of had part-time jobs as uh, sort of a programmer and and. Uh, really enjoyed that as well. Um, during uh, my master thesis, um, I, I was offered to also continue and do a PhD and, and continuing on that path. Uh, and I loved the, the discussions I had with my professors and, and the type of complex solution or complex question you were kind of discussing. Uh, however, it was way too lonely for me. Um, I really enjoyed. Uh, working together with people and solving uh, problems together, um, uh, but constantly sort of challenging myself uh, in that. And when I was introduced to, to consulting and the opportunities there, I felt that it was it was also these very complex problems spanning across very different areas uh, and working together together to solve problems with a lot of other smart people. Uh, So I really, really enjoyed consulting and, and, you know, really this continuous challenge and and very different type of challenges in each single uh, project. Uh, And I always kept kind of the the core where I came from, where where I was a a bit specialized in sort of digitalization and uh, business technology, as it it was called. I still have had that foundation and leveraged in the work, but, but working and solving real world kind of challenges here and now in different companies.
0: And I think that, that background and um, foray into consulting often really sets people up for those internal challenges in industry. The, the, the thought process of how you go about solving a problem is one that the consultancies teach in a fairly unique way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Uh, it's a good toolbox. Oh, definitely. And you mentioned there that kind of thread throughout your career, the the data driven sort of using data to make intelligent decisions. How did that then leave it lead into your um, your next move into Telenor?
1: Absolutely. So after having been around five years at McKinsey uh, and traveling a lot, I got the opportunity to to work with a with a telecom uh, operator in in Sweden uh, and. Uh, in Sweden, they're a disruptor uh, and really wanted to kind of uh, gain market share and be quite aggressive, sitting on a huge amount of data, but without really using it. So it was during a, an important phase of the company and, and being able to really see how can we do things smarter and better that really generates value for the company. And it was sort of very concretely going into sort of how do we subsidize phones and where do we put their money in our business? and and changing the structure for that. Uh, So it was really sort of connecting the the leverage of of data, understanding what customers valued, um, and and, uh, ensuring that we combine that in a way that really makes it profitable for a company.
0: Great, so um, the next career move you made is probably the the most unexpected one when I read through your, your CV. Um, and an amazing one, and, and one that's very purpose driven. So, can you tell us about how, first of all, how that came about? Because it certainly wouldn't be an obvious move, um, and and why that was so important to you in your life.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, I was working at Telenor, um, having a large team and a large PL, and I thought I kind of had a very straight and clear uh, career path. Um, then I was approached by a headhunter that, that asked me if I wanted to start a non-profit foundation uh, sort of aiming at children's reading ability. Uh, and it was so completely out of the blue uh, <laughs> that I was super intrigued. And in the, the day of the day, I decided to jump on this opportunity because I got the chance to work directly with Bertel Halt, who is uh, one of the great Swedish entrepreneurs that have founded a company called Education First a large global educational company and he wanted to like make a real difference uh, into children's life and then sort of giving all of children uh, the same um sort of prerequisites of, of being able to to create a good world a good life for themselves uh, and him being dyslexic he really saw the the challenge if if you don't have the tool of reading and how that prevents you from being able to chase your dreams so he wanted to make sure that he could have a real impact into um, how many children that actually uh, learn to read. So um, I was offered the position and, and, and sort of jumped off the opportunity to kind of really think through and problem solve how can a nonprofit foundation have an impact uh, and really change how many, people, how many kids learn to read. And realizing that it needs to be done through the teachers in the society, uh, but really supporting uh, great tools and support for the teachers in their daily life. And, and, and started a foundation called Legalexi, uh, where we developed digital tools uh, to sort of break, the, break down the ability to read into different sub-abilities. And... Uh, and get sort of through testing um, uh, and connecting the results of the students kind of bring performance management uh, into the hands of teachers for free. And uh, and, and what I mean performance management is really about sort of So really to leverage digital tools into sort of formative uh, learning. How can you help a teacher to know where do I need to support uh, my students more? Uh, Where do I need to improve as a teacher or or, uh, try different uh, exercises, etc. So it's really about sort of empowering the teachers with the knowledge of of where different students are and how they can can sort of bridge gaps uh, of knowledge and abilities. And it's being used by thousands of teachers in Sweden today Um, and it also set me on a journey kind of mentally of of what do I value and and what do I want to leverage my own time in this life and my abilities uh, into really realizing I'm very values driven and want to make sure that what I spend my time doing is really improving things uh, and I want to leave uh, some sort of positive mark.
0: And I guess that brings us perfectly to the present day and to Enride. And I gave the um, the one-liner, but I think it would be great for our listeners to hear more about what the business does, what it stands for, the elevator pitch, if you will. And then that will lead us into the conversation, which goes full circle back to disruption.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, first of all, uh, yeah, After having done a couple of other things in my career, I I realized I really wanted to bring together working with a team that all wants to create the change, um, working on something that I truly believe can have a positive impact in this world and making sure that I also feel I leverage uh, my passions and my abilities into kind of uh, digitalization and really doing something positive sort of several different uh, dimensions. And I'm coming back to, to what I see that is. And I really found that in Enride. Um, Enride is a company um, with a vision of truly disrupting the transport industry. The transport industry today is dirty, a uh, lot of safety or like um, uh, safety issues for for people in and, and around the industry, and a very low uh, efficiency. Uh, so a lot of things can be improved, both for the people and the business uh, in this industry. So a lot of possibilities for digitalization, but also it's an industry that haven't had a lot of uh, large uh, transformations. However, now three different key transformations is coming to the industry. It's digitalization, it's electrification, and it's automation. And really sort of thinking through how will these different technology trends affect uh, the industry And how do we make sure we can leverage the positive uh, benefits of these three different technology trends? Because if you only try to sort of shoehorn in technology, that's not when you get the most benefit of them. So Enright is all about sort of assuming that all these three trends will happen and doing so already six, seven years ago, saying how would actually the new ecosystems look and how can we build up an ecosystem and a business that accelerates the transition and sort of reaps the benefit for all the players in the ecosystem of these uh, sort of technology shifts. Because it's very difficult to go electric without digitalization, because in order to be able to do electric in a cost efficient way, you need to plan much more into detail than if you do diesel because of the charging and because of the range. So um, really, sort of bundling these in an assumption has been able to us to kind of speed ahead and create the software solutions that's needed to really be able to accommodate for, for the changes that's, that needs to happen in this industry. And, and hence being able to offer our customers already today, the solutions that many of the industry sees that this will happen in five to 10 years from now, because we see that it can be done, be done now we can do electric freight cost-efficient today because of the software and the planning. Uh, and because we already now think about things being more automated in the future, we can also actually improve a lot of the things in the industry today that's been built up around a certain way of operating that is more or less the same way that's been sort of evolved in the last hundred years. So, so Enright, just to summarize, is kind of a, a freight mobility company. So we, we developed the technologies, uh, uh, kind of overall software. How do we actually bind this all together and plan and operate it in an efficient way? And how do we enable the shippers to, to start this journey now? Um, and then we also sort of have deep expertise and develop technologies around the electric trucks, uh, the charging, uh, as well as the o- sort, of automation, uh, sort of autonomous trucks still maybe a bit complex because we are tro- you cannot just fit us in a box in the industry today and that always <clears> makes it difficult uh, because we you know we do see a need for some of the ecosystem to change uh, so we're, we're not kind of easy to to kind of uh, just put in a box but uh, I think that's also what makes it uh, the more exciting.
0: Definitely and I think in the jobs that you've had there that's you know what's more exciting than a huge challenge and I think there's no greater challenge than when actually all of the external factors need to change for your internal factors to work and you touched on a great point there that you know you can't make fundamental shifts and you can't be a disruptor if you expect everything else to stay the same so people's expectations need to not be that of what it would be with diesel or with petrol, it needs to be totally different. And I think that's where you know it's such a huge challenge. And thinking about your career specifically, that's what I'd really love to explore. You went in there as a COO, managed to get yourself back to a very small team of people. And then lo and behold, you have a gigantic team again. So can you, can you talk us through what that's looked like and, and why again, you've grabbed the opportunity?
1: Sure, so you know when I took this move I was I left the education first as a cio uh, having a 200 plus team um, and working across many geographies uh, and decided to move back to Sweden because I was living in Switzerland at the time uh, which was a family decision to to move back and feeling that I wanted to go on this sort of I don't I didn't want to go to one of the large companies in sort of existing industries but I really wanted to kind of sort of join a journey and um, uh, and test test uh, kind of a, a startup scale up type of company came to Enright when when we were about seventy people seO as you mentioned with a kind of four people team and building up our electric freight operations and I led kind of a large organization and I was so thrilled about the opportunity of really building something from scratch again, like I had done when I, when I did the foundation, really being part of, of not only maintaining and taking something over and, and yes, doing transformations of things, but truly building a company, being part of building a company and building my teams and, and recruiting a lot of great people and, and, uh, sort of being a team in solving Huge and difficult challenges that there's no sort of right answer on. Uh, so that was super exciting, and I really liked that. I had been kind of internal IT uh, primarily, and, and, and internal systems. I loved getting into much more sort of customer, um, uh, yeah, getting close to the customer, building up operations, figuring out what is really truly important for our customers. Um, Uh, when transitioning to electric. We want to be this sort of one-stop shop when we solve all of the challenges and lowering that barrier for for changing. So really sort of being in close dialogue with customers I think was super interesting and useful. Uh, After having done so a year and a half and building up that organization... I got the opportunity to step into the role as CPO um, and being responsible for all of our product uh, and technology development, as well as manufacturing, as we have for our autonomous vehicles. A great challenge. I took over a team of about 100 at that time. And in six months, we grew to more than 200. Uh, So I'm back to kind of the the size of teams I had before joining Enride. But during those sort of a little bit more than two years, it was a super exciting journey of both build, being part of building this company, building my teams, really solving what is it that we need to do, what is it that you know we need to prioritize, um, and working very closely with product development and, and sort of seeing, you know, we want to be a very uh, sort of customer value driven product organization. And that's a lot why, why I got the chance to, to enter this role uh, because we don't want to develop technology for the sake of technology. We want to develop technology and products to really shape the industry for the value of the customers. So both being close to the customer and understanding what they know they want, but also thinking through the overall structures of the ecosystem and, and generating that true value that will come by being able to consolidate part of the market and being able to get utilizations much higher, which means lower cost for the customer in the end. So lower customer, of course, you know, more predictability and service quality. Uh, so really still playing on the fundamentals of the, of the industry and, and what the customer wants, but being able through these transformation and modernizations to do it much better.
0: And I think that that leads into the, um, back to our original topic of careers, but maybe less so your career and also those people that you're managing to impact their careers, giving them an opportunity to be a part of this. Cause it's fairly unique to be in a situation where your landscape is, is entirely new it's not just new because you're a new company it's new because nobody's done this before and i think for all of those people that get to work for you in that 200 plus team like each one of those gets that new experience so how does how does it feel building that team but also how do you go about building the right team uh,
1: super super exciting i think th- this is one of the you know why i'm why i'm loving this job and why i think it's so exciting daily because uh, in order to be able to do what we want to achieve, we need to combine all different types of competences. And as you said, we need to solve problems that haven't been solved before. Um, and I think uh, it's definitely challenging, right? Because the more you mix uh, people from diverse backgrounds, the more conflict it can also create. But I think that's also where the magic happens. So really being able to bring people in from, from the um, OEM or the sort of the truck manufacturing companies from the sort of Klarna and Spotify's of this world, uh, from the transport industry, from uh, uh, transport software industry, uh, and other kind of industries where digitalization has been very successful and bringing all these different competences together um, to create something new is truly exciting, but it doesn't come without friction. But I think, you know, we can't be afraid of that friction because that is what's going to lead us to these type of solutions that is truly going to add most value. Uh, So I think it's part of of the most exciting and and doing so many different interviews with people from very diverse backgrounds uh, and finding these great talents all around is, you know, so rewarding, even personally. Uh, And to be able to see how, you know, someone coming in from one perspective and learning so much from others, people in the team, you know, yeah, th- that is magic and, and really, really exciting. And I think for people that go through that as well, it's very rewarding. Uh, and I think where we currently are, we just, you know, came really high on this uh, list of where talents want to go and, and these kind of things. And, and we've made ourselves a, a brand name in that ex- aspect because it is a truly exciting environment to be in um, uh, in that combination of of competences and and talents Uh, so definitely that's also a a strength that you have as as a disruptor that it also attracts people that wants to want to disrupt want to innovate and and want to be part of of this type of journey.
0: And talking about the disruption how does that work you're you're looking at Public authorities to work with them to get approvals for things that have never been approved before. Like, how, how do you even start? Hey, it's a very
1: good. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, it's a learning journey for all of us, and it's an educational journey for all of us as well. And and you know, I think the the type of collaboration that we have with many of the authorities is extremely valuable for both them and us. Uh, as you say, you know they. They want to give us permits for, for things that have never been given permits or, or approvals for, and it is very difficult to come up to like what, when is things safe enough or um, uh, how do we need to set the f- sort of frames or, you know within what scope things are allowed to be to be done etc. I think this can only be done in the in the way we're doing now, which is a very collaborative way, uh, and of course we. We always have to ensure that we don't sort of uh, test and fail, but rather we are very cautious uh, and work together on on defining and and continuously sort of improving the level of detail of of what's needed, etc. Uh, but it but to your point, it is a learning journey for everyone, and the best way of doing it is working close together. And I think the type of relationships that we have with the authorities in many of the markets that we are. Um, you know it's clear that they acknowledge the same thing and that we can only do this in collaboration uh, which i think is is very very useful and and sort of a uh, that's the way forward so um, um, we really appreciate that type of collaboration
0: nice um and i think something that's always fascinating um from an outside perspective and it's something we get asked a lot um in terms of what questions should we be asking on the podcast is is about investment and funding and and going through those rounds. That's been something that's been hugely successful. Can you tell us a bit about that journey, the good and the bad bits of it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think for me personally,
1: it's been very exciting. Uh, that's one of part of this job that I had never worked in, in that type of context before. Uh, so I've learned a lot uh, working with that. I think it also very uh, valuable as a, a kind of executive in a company to hear to have these discussion with uh, investors and potential investors to hear the type of questions they're asking, how they are evaluating things, and and what they also see from their perspectives in in what way we're differentiating, etc. So I think it it does add a sort of strategic perspective and it and it challenges you to really formulate, you know, the uniquenesses and this kind of thing on a kind of continuous basis, which is very valuable. It's also super tough, as you mentioned. It's like it, it requires a lot of time. Like it does pull both me and, and especially the founders and, and kind of part of the management team to a lot of external focus. You know, as I said, some of that is very valuable because it does, you know, keep us grounded all the time by by really reiterating what's unique and, and making sure that that is also, you know, the prioritizations we're doing internally, but it also removes a lot of time from working with the teams. Uh, and I think that is is a constant struggle. It's a struggle for me personally, where I feel, you know, the more I'm away and doing all these investor things, the less I am with my teams. So uh, I think that is is a balance that's difficult to strike, but I definitely see a value of it as well and make and, and a value both for the investors and myself in having that dialogue and, and not only sort of diverting that to, to uh, the CEO or in, in our case, the founders. So like th- there's both a good and bad with that, but it definitely forces you to, to think a lot about the strategic questions and you kind of have to internalize a lot of that, you know, and, and formulate also as it, ch- as it changes and moves, like, if I look at sort of some of our core messages and, and things that we have said when I joined versus now, we have developed so much, right, and we have learned so much. And, and by constantly having to reformulate to investors, yeah, is a very useful exercise. But it's, it, it's a challenge, it takes a lot of time. I think the time aspect is, is always the, when it comes down to it, the, the stuff that's difficult to, to manage.
0: And I think it's, it's one of those things you almost feel like it's ending, but then it restarts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's the nature of
0: it. And looking forwards then, like what's next for Enride? Where are you heading?
1: So we're in a kind of heavy growth phase. We're growing a lot um, and especially in terms of customers and deployments. Uh, So we are definitely one of the largest uh, electric freight operators um, and we're growing a lot there. So we're getting the recognition from customers that we are the safe choice if you want to go electric and and definitely the fastest way to go electric as well. So that's a lot of the focus right now is, is making sure that we can scale and, and really uh, maintain the, the level of quality, etc., that we have. So we kind of proven ourselves in a small scale, and now it's a lot about that scaling and, and, and proving that we can do it uh, at larger scale. We're just deploying really large fleets, uh, more or less as we speak. Uh, in March, we're deploying really large fleets. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of is a scaling, and, and still, you know, very important in terms of shaping that differentiators and making sure you know as we scale it's always that battle in product development of of sort of supporting all of our customers as well as continue to build differentiation um, so that is, i think is is what most companies go through and, and of course we're we're not unique in that way so um, but but i think we have a very clear vision and and uh, uh, hence will also uh, be quite clear on the differentiators and continue to, to develop
0: those And you touched again on balance there and it's a theme i feel that runs through almost every episode i do of balancing (laughs) your internal focus your external focus from a work perspective and then adding in family and then time to go off and ski and eat and do other things and i always like to understand how people do that and and it seems like you've been very successful in it and normally for me a good indicator of that is how happy someone is you seem like a very happy person. And I think that's a good indicator that you are managing that balance, no matter how challenging it often feels on a day-to-day. So how do you go about it to make sure that you balance your time in the best way you can?
1: So I think it's a very good question. And I think it's something we all struggle with. And and I do agree that I'm, I'm a happy person uh, but I, I would be lying if if I always feel I, I have the balance. So I, I think it's one of those things. I think one of the important principles is that no one else can take responsibility for, for that, you know, your balance. It, it, it is only you that can can feel, you know, if your workload is too much or something. And taking that responsibility and listening to yourself and your body and, and your mel- mental health is is truly sort of what it all comes down to in the end. And, and understanding where you reload uh, your batteries and, and what you get energy from. Uh, and I think, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to have like a, a very good balance with my husband in terms of how we divide, uh, you know, getting the kids from daycare and, and school and these kind of things where, where he works 80%. And, and sort of, we have a very good, constant or a continuous discussion around how we divide uh, the work that we have within the family, etc. Um, I also want to be, be very present, and I always block my calendar several hours uh, every evening where I'm kind of remove my phone and I'm only with with the kids and, and my family, and that's really, really important to me. And those are sacred hours, and then I reconnect uh, when the kids are at bed. Uh, so, and also, you know, really trying to take vacation and being able to sort of disconnect uh, from work, uh, even though, of course, me as, as most executives work a lot. Uh, I'm not gonna lie about that. Uh, so, but once again, you know, there has been times where I felt like I, I really can't take it anymore. And I just sort of, uh, went to to our CEO and said uh, next week I'm going on vacation and he was like what and I was like I need this and he he didn't question that and and I just left with a family, and and that I really needed uh, and to be able to identify that and see that and and, and really act upon it I think is super important uh, because it's different for all of us and and it's just uh, one of those things that if you don't learn it I think uh, you you risk uh, hurting yourself. Uh, so, so staying true and, and listening to, to your body and your mental health, I think is in the end of the day, what's, what's going to make it important. But, but I think in, in balance and, and being very transparent and having an open dialogue with your partner, I think for me has been fundamentally like a very important key to, to feeling happy uh, and sort of not feeling overstretched and uh, is, is very, very important so i think being sort of transparent internally and being able to have good communication both with your manager and your teams as well as as your partner and family um and and being sort of humble about the challenges that's there because it is a stretch for i think everyone that's want to combine career career and, and family and and having a healthy life not kind of oversimplifying but but staying true and and discussing it because it changes all the time as well
0: Um, and I think you mentioned there just having the support of your in your case the founder but your boss your manager your co-workers whoever it is around you and being able to say that is is really crucial as well Um, and I think something that I've noticed in speaking to you before and today and and I think our listeners will pick up on you've got a great ability to know your strengths and to self-evaluate and I think actually some that's something a lot of people struggle with and and perhaps it comes with time and maturity but it's something that actually i think allows you to have the biggest impact on other people's careers is knowing what your strengths are and how you can use those to develop others so how how do you think that's played a part in your success in the last couple of years
1: oh very good question um I do agree with you what you say that you know being able to see your strength and and I think it's one of those things that I've you know struggled a little bit being a woman and these kind of things to actually like I'm I'm good at this um, and 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 feeling okay to even articulate it and and feel confident about it. Uh, but I think it's been very useful and something that has given me a lot of strength. I think when you know. Of course, one of my passions and being a leader is sort of being a part of of seeing someone else's success and and development, uh, and and hopefully being a part of of, uh, making that development even greater. That is definitely kind of one of the things that motivates me and, and makes me enjoy sort of leadership
0: um well that leads me perfectly into the last question thinking about the careers of others and i think something that's that i mentioned at the start but it's very unique is is your career isn't linear and actually as someone that spends their life working with people on on their next career move yours has been i would say not very obvious in every case which is great because it's given you those wonderful experiences but what advice would you give to Either your younger self or someone sitting there thinking, "I think it's time for a change."
1: Yeah. So actually, one career advice I got that has also been a part of me taking doing these choices that I've done was that the best opportunities will never be the the most obvious and easy ones. So I think there's been a part of me that always have seeked this strange challenge uh and the, the the not the most obvious uh next step and and for example when when i had this phone call about the foundation like i was like this is so strange that i need to explore it uh, right uh instead of like what i have never worked with the uh, you know education or reading or nonprofit profit or like it was like this is super exciting this is something completely different and i think you know, also being through sort of consulting and having, I think I've worked on 25 pr- projects during my five years and every single one being very different. And every single project, I had butterflies in my stomach and feeling, oh, can I do this? And it was always a little bit too difficult. And and you, you, it kind of became a drug, right? Uh, that, you know, you want that challenge and excitement and and when you've actually come to the end of the project, I was like, I did this, like it worked. I, I you know I learned a lot, and like the the client loves me, and you know we did really good project. And the the sort of satisfaction of that butterfly feeling and sort of being able to overcome it and do something good, it becomes this, uh, yeah, a drug. And I think feeling that very steep learning curve then it is very natural to want to search for something where you're not in your comfort zone. And I think the the more you're outside of your comfort zone, the more you learn. So I think to quite early in your career, dare to challenge yourself and and, uh, get outside of your comfort zone, I think is definitely very rewarding. And, And I think before I joined Enride, being able to really kind of conclude how do I combine the different things I've done and how do I make the most value out of what I possess and also what I want to continue to learn? I think that comes from having tried a lot of different things and and sort of the excitement of of doing so and also feeling that I don't need to stay in the safe uh, harbor of going to a big enterprise, knowing exactly what is expected of me, etc., but throwing myself out there because I know that the reward is bigger if I throw myself out. Uh, and I think, you know, just looking back at these years uh, for now at, at, at Enride, or kind of the, it's very clear that that jump was very, very worthwhile and, and taking that risk really paid off. And, and I, I did so knowing, like, it, it was an early startup, like, you know, who knows if if this is going to be a come and if, if this company exists a year from now. But I was, I was willing to take that risk because I know like, but if it like, I'm still going to learn a lot and if it does work, it's going to be super exciting and I'm going to learn even more. So I think also, you know, I think I was very risk averse uh, earlier in my my career and and sort of with feeling the strength of, of uh, confidence, I think willing to take more, a bit more risk and, and has sort of been something that's very rewarding and, and something that I clearly recommend to others as well.
0: I think it's, it's safe to say it's paid off um, and I think you're, you're an amazing role model for many people out there who aren't quite sure what's next and also I think particularly um, a lot of women in engineering that sometimes feel like their path is a bit more challenging so seeing people who have been brave and done it and been hugely successful is, um, is amazing for them as well so thank you. And thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. It was brilliant. Um, And yeah, we wish you every success and no doubt I'll see you doing something obscure again in the future.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate the, the, the discussion a lot.